Alright, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Oh, good, man. It's so, so good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, did I, I felt a lot of pressure uh, uh, being the host last week, let's say that. And it reminded me of, um, you know, when we first started and we sat down to record for the very first time and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll host it. I'll, I'll give it a go. And then we, I did. We did the. I did. I said one thing. I think, and then we just laughed <laughs> our heads off. And then we switched up straight away. <laughs> oh man! One day we're going to release the tapes of like the first <laughs> recording session because I think I've still got it. You know, the original, the full audio. Man, I jump. But do you know what? The first thing I was going to say was well done on last week's episode because for anyone who did listen to last week, Barney was in uh, the presenting seat. I wasn't around and. Barney was presenting. We had Kevin Fernandez on as a guest. And do you know what? For me, it was actually really a really nice experience for me to listen to this podcast as like a fan rather than just listening back to myself talk. I was excited for it to come out and hear what you guys said. And I think um, it was a really good episode. Fair Play Kevin was was a really good guest. I, I was really keen to get him on. Um, and I was a bit disappointed actually that we had him on in a week, you know, when I wasn't there because I could have chatted to him about football for ages. But he did a really good job of, of chatting to him. And I would say for anyone who's not listened to it, I think it's well worth going back. Obviously, the coverage is of the games of the week. So some of that might not be relevant, but there's plenty of great conversation at the beginning about transfers and, and managers and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really worth listening back to. And I think, yeah, you did a really good job. Oh, cheers, man. But yeah, I think Kevin was brilliant. Yeah, he, had, he had so much to say and it was he made it very easy. So, yeah, it was good to get him on. Yeah, absolutely. But look, it's back to business as usual this week and we've got another packed show ahead of us we're going to try and cover uh, a lot of games and have some other conversations as well but the first thing I want to do Barney is chat about a few transfers that happened this week because there were actually quite a few transfer stories that popped up this week quite a few of them happened today actually uh, I've got a little list here Andre Almeida the Victoria midfielder looks like he's on his way to Valencia Benfica look like they're about to sign a Norwegian defensive midfielder called Frederick Orsnes I really hope I haven't butchered his name too much. Uh, and then some interesting ones from within the within the league. Yakubu Aziz from Rirav looks set to go to St Etienne and Rirav are going to bring in, finally, Pedro Mendes on a permanent from Sporting after having him on loan last season. Romario Barrow has gone to Casapia on loan from Porto. And Lufa Singh, uh, a favourite of this podcast, looks like he's coming back to Portugal to play for Chavs. So um, dig in where you want, Barney, with those transfers. I think the obvious one to start with is Andre Almeida to Valencia. That's quite a big deal. We... We saw him linked, obviously, with with Porto very heavily and Sporting to a lesser extent. But it looks like he's moving out of Portugal and on his way to Valencia. Yeah, and I think he was even rumoured with Wolves at one point earlier in the transfer window. So, um, well, who isn't to be fair? <laughs> yeah, it's very true. But this, I think, this is a a great transfer for him. I think it's a good move. Uh, we've 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 always rated him a lot. I think his time at Victoria will, for me will be sort of remembered as a breakout season, and then. It was Jair Henriquez, wasn't it, the manager at yeah. the time, who just seemed to not trust him and 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 sort of he sort of phased out the team and I couldn't understand why. And I feel that really stuttered his development because we 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 saw a, a really talented player there who just but yet still never quite did it in, in this league to the extent I sort of hoped he would. But I, I'm I'm really happy for him because I think that's a great move to, to Valencia. I think he'll 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 be a, a good player in Spain. Onus is um Oh, I've butchered his name as well. Now the the, the Norwegian defensive midfielder who Benfica signed from final. I I really like the look of him. I think it just sort of shows that 
Benfica are really back, backing Schmidt, aren't they? And mm. uh, the videos I've seen, he just looks like such a good pass of the ball. And I think I, I, I assume the plans for him to play alongside Enzo Fernandez, and that really does excite me. I think that's you know they them as a two could be devastating. I think the only thing I've got to say on this transfer Albert, is I've, it feels like the final nail in the coffin for Adele Tarabs. I think there's no way back in the team now. <laughs> I think Tarab's already gone. I I did read a report that he'd agreed some kind of move to the club in the Middle East. I don't know whether that was finalised. I will try and find out. But the only downside, I think, to this uh, this deal for Orsenes coming from Feyenoord is that what does it mean for Florentino? Because I've really enjoyed watching Florentino play alongside Enzo Fernandez and seeing him in the team. Is he going to take Florentino's place? Is uh, Orsenes going to be the backup defensive midfielder? How is that going to work out? And it does look like that means the end of Julian Weigel in terms of his time at Benfica. We speculated whether Weigel could be one of the players who really broke out under Roger Smith, but it looks like the opposite's happening. So, yeah, interesting move there. And just to touch on Jaramida Barney, for me, I'm disappointed, of course, to see him leave in Portugal because, like you, I've really enjoyed watching him play. He did have a difficult year or perhaps a difficult patch in the middle of the last two seasons, but... He started this season in really great form and I thought we'd be seeing him at Porto, to be honest. And the suggestion was that that deal was sort of verbally agreed. There was a gentleman's agreement for that move to happen and then uh, Valencia have come in and made a bigger offer. So it looks like we'll be off to Spain and, and we do wish him uh, the best of luck. And I do want to get your your thoughts quickly, Barney, on Luther Singh coming back to Chavez because I know he's a player that you're a big fan of. I cannot wait to see him back in this league. And I think it's a hell of a signing for Chavez. Like... When he was playing up for Pastor de Ferrer, when they got into um, the European spots under under Pepper, he was unreal in my opinion. He was, he was one of the best wingers in the league, and I think I described it in our pre-season show when I was saying Pastor de Ferrer have not had a player since him who is able to, I, I think, win games individually. So I think this is a an incredible signing for Shabs, and I, I I cannot wait to see him. Oh, but I just wanted to include one more player on this list. Uh, I think this transfer happened last week, so it's a, bit, a little bit late, but I still think it's quite significant. And that's um, the Brazilian winger Kakai from Man City to on loan to Pastor Ferreira. It's just I wanted to highlight it because it's uh, it's another transfer that's come from Pastor's new affiliation with the City Group. Um, Arthur said has been the other one who they brought in earlier in this window, but um, I'm excited to see this player. It's a, it's a player they've. Man City signed, uh, you know, really with high hopes and someone they, they see getting into their first team eventually from Brazil. But it's it's also interesting because I think this this link to the City group is an interesting thing to have in this league. Uh, I, I'm interested to see how other fans and other clubs take to it, you know, because for me, it's past the throw getting some good players and who they might not have been able to get in another situation. So I think it's certainly one to keep an eye on, but also a really exciting player that everyone should try and try and watch at some point. Yeah, I didn't watch Passos's game this weekend, so I don't know whether we played, but I'm going to keep an eye on their games just to get a, get a look at him because obviously, you know, you sign a player on loan from Manchester City, it just has this kind of glamour to it. it you know, it catches your interest. So yeah, I'm keen to see how he gets on. Well, we're going to get on to the games of the week in just a second. But first, we want to talk about something a little bit different as uh, this week, we had a bit of a first for the podcast, Barney. We had our first ever 
uh, viral tweet. Uh, <laughs> I can feel myself cringing even as I say those words. <laughs> but yeah, we had a, a weird situation over the weekend where a tweet we did about Iago, the Portsmouth and Strikers goal celebration, uh, went a bit crazy on Twitter. Um, as we record this, it's currently on 31,000 likes, uh, 3.7 thousand retweets, uh, 4 million impressions. That's the one that makes me laugh. Uh, and a million video views just a, w- a funny experience for us but i think it does kind of raise actually some interesting questions that we want to talk about because it's quite funny to me how a tweet that i did which took about 10 seconds to write while i was doing what i do quite often you know on a sunday night watching a game of portuguese football at home in bed by myself which no one else is watching um no one's interested in this game i'm doing a couple of updates here and there no one cares uh, I've kind of got one eye on my phone, one eye on in the game. Nothing's really happening. And then at the end of the game, a player decides to do uh, a crazy thing, uh, which made me laugh. So I go on Twitter, find the video and uh, tweeted the video. Um, yeah, next thing you know, thousands of people have seen it and it's kind of being viewed all around the world. It's an interesting situation because it just made me very aware of the fact that something which is so innocuous and and can take only a few seconds to do can suddenly have quite a big impact and i'm quite aware of the uh you know the, what we try and do in terms of promoting portuguese football to people around the world so um a lot of people were kind of taking sides some people saw it as you know something funny something humorous of course the victoria fans were very upset by this they saw it as a kind of aggressive act he was for anyone who's not seen the video, he, he runs to the corner flag, grabs the corner flag and mimes machine gunning the Victoria fans who are sitting right there. An insane thing to do. It did make me laugh, I have to admit, not because I think it's funny to shoot people, but just because it was quite an absurd thing to do. I just found the whole thing quite outrageous. But then, of course, a lot of people uh, were on the player's side. Um, the player then came out after the game and, and said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially, he essentially said, look, I know I overdid it. I think we all overdid it. Uh, and I don't want to disrespect people, but I was just reacting in the moment. And he said to uh, spitting from the Victoria fans and also racial abuse. So, you know, there was a serious side to this conversation that you weren't able to have in just this one tweet. And I was very aware that this tweet was kind of going crazy and getting out there. And we weren't really able to have a conversation about it. So I'm interested to get your perspective on the whole situation and just, yeah, what you thought about what uh, Yago decided to do in a moment of madness. It's it's harder like because it's, there is two ways of thinking. I think there's the serious way of thinking, and there's just the, like the instinctive football fan thinker. I think I think it's great of him to come out afterwards and say it was against the, the racist and the you know for the the racists who had been abusing his his teammates during the game because right? I think that's a really impo- important thing to raise. And I think you know this is particularly with this coming a week after we saw the league and. And several teams do do a, a social media backup for Esgaio after he received online abuse for his performance against Braga. At the, but at the same time of this happening, there's news coming out that Gustavo Asankara family Cal was given a match ban for essentially accusing Tondeo Salvadagra of calling him a monkey. And like the disciplinary board of the league has decided that Asankara needs to be banned for a game for, and I quote, injuries and reputational offences. And I'm not sure if Salvador Agra called Asenkau a monkey or not. I don't know that for sure. But what I do know for sure is that any player in this league now who receives racial abuse will be scared to report it because of fear of getting a, a game suspension. And I think, I know this is sort of 
gone on a tangent, but I, I think it's a really brave thing for Yago to have done that and, and, and sort of say what it say why he did it. Because it is obviously a minority of racists from the Victoria fan base because, you know, they brought 2.5 thousand fans down for that game, which is incredible and so good. And the majority of those fans will remember that moment forever. And I think both fans and Yago will, will love the sort of the, the the heat of it. You know, the, the good fans, I'll say, not, not the racists. I think it, people have been liking it to Adebayor's celebration for Manchester City when he sprints down the whole length of the pitch to deliberately celebrate in front of the Arsenal fans. And it's just a moment where mm. a football player, and football players, as you say, are so often on the end of abuse. And as the kind of professionals, their job is almost to take it and not respond, right? And so these moments when football players don't just take it, uh, like Adebayor when he deliberately ran the whole length of the pitch and he slid in front of the fans, and like Yago when he grabbed the corner flag and did what he did, these are moments when the players don't play by the rule book because we do hold players and fans to different standards. Like if you went and told a load of fans in the stadium that they couldn't shout, and I'm not talking about racist stuff, I'm just talking about you couldn't shout abuse at a player yeah. or a linesman or a ref, they would say, oh, this is part of football. This is, you know, people have to get over it. Whereas when a player comes back to them and gives them back a little bit of what they've been giving to him, suddenly it becomes controversial. So from that perspective, I think, yeah, I found it an amusing event and I don't make any apologies for laughing at the situation. Of course, when it comes to racist abuse, you have to take it very seriously. And those are very serious accusations. Um, Of course, the one thing I want to say very clearly is that I think there are so many great Victoria fans. In fact, in general, mm. I think Victoria have one of the best fan bases in the country, the way they back their team home and away. Um, we know it's just factual that there are historical cases of racist abuse from Victoria fans. Moose Morega, very famous one. Uh, but I liken it to um, a team like Millwall in the UK. They have a minority of fans that have done these things and that have given this club a reputation, but it by no means represents all fans. Um, and I would like to see Victoria fans, who I'm sure they, they already do, condemning any racist abuse if it happens. And in general, I would like to see more openness from all football fans to say, well, if I'm going to give it to this player on the pitch, then I've got to be prepared to take it back. Because I think that's what happened with Yago. And I think that's what a lot of football fans all around the world, when they saw this video, empathise with a little bit. Well, look, let's get into what we're all here for and talk about. Uh, the football action from the Primera Liga this weekend. And of course, we have to start, Barney, with the biggest game of the season so far, the first Clasico of the season, as Porto played Sporting in the Dragao. The two clubs who've gone head-to-head over the last two years for the last two titles. I was, of course, interested in this game for obvious reasons, but particularly, Barney, I was intrigued to see these clubs face off again, as in my, in my mind, they are in quite a similar position. This is two of the strongest clubs we've had in recent years, but both clubs who've lost important players over the summer. And perhaps you could say that these these are two clubs coming to the end of a natural cycle in terms of the makeups of their squads, in terms of the turnover of players and what those groups of players had achieved. So I was prepared personally for quite an even game, but obviously that's not what we got in the end as Porto ran out 3-0 winners. Now, the thing that surprised me, Barney, was despite everything I've said about these clubs being in similar positions, they look like, to me, teams in completely different places. Porto looked confident. They looked comfortable with the way they were playing. Uh, and every player looked like they knew what they were doing and what their role was, role was in that team. Contrast that with Sporting, who, to be honest, I thought it looked like a bit of a mess. I think the players, there were players there who looked unclear about what they should be doing positionally. 
I think there were players who looked like they weren't used to playing together, especially in defence. And they just looked so much less convincing. And, and the scoreline reflected that completely. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and I was thinking about our conversation in the pre-season show where I was, we were talking about the two squads and I asked you the question about who, who's better. And I, and I was implying that I actually felt Sporting had improved their squad more so that and, and, and were potentially in a strong position in Porto. This was obviously before, before they lost Mateus Nunes, but which is obviously a huge player to lose. But I think what I've certainly done Porto a disservice throughout the start of the season because I just losing Fabio Vieira and Vettino, I, I I really thought that was going to be too much for them to to deal with and, and, and was going to change the way they play. But I think that's the difference we're talking about here is that we have a manager in Contrasal who has changed year on year. And I look at his formation, you know, this new Porto formation where they have the attacking midfielder behind the two strikers and then the three midfielders behind him and how that, how they attacked Porto, uh, Sporting's back line, you know, with Pepe adding, becoming one of the, the three attacking players, you know, that back five of Sporting just, they didn't know who to pick up. And the reverse of that is Amarin, who is stuck with this formation and he refuses to change from it even though the players that are currently playing it might not be suited. I think it's interesting to look at the the front three, um, Pote, Edwards and Trincao, who I thought looked good last week. But then I think in this game, the weaknesses of playing those three in, in, in the attack really shone through. And I think Edwards and Trincao are both at their best on the right. And when you play one of them in the middle, let's say Edwards, for example, in this game, he... He just wasn't great at receiving the ball with his back to the defender, right? He wants to be receiving the ball and having space to run and attack the defender. And there was no one in that in that attack who was causing disruption in the box between Pepe and Marcano. You know, as, I know Paulinho is out injured, but they needed someone there. And I've, I've rambled a bit, but I think the point I'm trying to make, which you sort of alluded to in the beginning there, was that I feel like, we have a manager in Contrasau who has done incredibly well at adapting his teams and the, and, the, and his squad year on year, making drastic changes at points. And then we have Amarin, who seems to be quite stubborn and not being as flexible. Yeah, I get that a lot. And I think I agree that the personnel for, for Sporting looked disjointed. That front three, which I think can work, but I don't think Edwards should be playing through the middle. I think he's played out of position. That said, I don't think he did too badly at all, to be honest. I still think he offered moments of positivity for sporting. Trincao as well, I think when he got on the ball, looked good, but he struggled to get on the ball for me. He wasn't on the ball enough. So I just think there's issues with players linking up together for sporting. There's issues linking up the defence with the midfield and the midfield with the attack that I think need ironing out. I don't think there's any reason to worry long term I think this is still a squad that can do great things and play great football and will this season but I just think like I said I was surprised how how far away these two teams were in terms of how uh, how polished they look as a club and how ready they look to play together because sporting for me um, yeah we're just too far behind Porto in this league these games are are so key, right? And mm. Porto have beaten Sporting on three straight occasions now for the first time since 2003. And I know Sporting are, are a club on the way up and Porto have very much been at the top for a while and are, are, are naturally in a stronger position. But I, I think, maybe I'm being too critical and in here, but I do think that 
that statistic there that Porto has been sporting for three straight occasions for the first time is, is quite damning. And I, I think maybe I'm blaming the wrong person here because Amarin isn't the person who sold Mateus Nunes and Paulinho and, and mm. Amarin isn't the person bringing it, who has bringing in the players, which has become quite clear. But I, I'm i going to change this around and, say, um, and sort of turn it into a positive note for Porto because I just think Conchasau has done an incredible job at maintaining this winning mentality and let's not forget this winning mentality didn't come from last season it came from the season before that when Sporting won the league because that's when they had started their um, unbeaten run and it's now 40, uh, 34 home games without a defeat which is currently the best in Europe it just seemed a bit smart as well I like the way that Sporting finished the game with 61% possession despite being down to 10 men in the last 15 minutes and you know last year Porto had the highest possession in the league so I think what that shows is that Conscious Hour realised that this team he's got at the moment, who we saw press Maritimo so well in the first week, you know, he sees that's their strength. And so in allowing Sporting to have a bit more possession, they he can bring out the breast in their, in their pressing game and win the ball high up the pitch. So, yeah, I think that that's what's so glaring, obviously, to me is that Contra Sal has just managed to maintain this winning form. Yeah, I think I think that's true. The one thing I will say in Sporting's defence is that I'm going to contradict myself here because on the one hand, I think... Porto should have won the game 4 0. We'll come on to that in just a second because there was a fourth goal disallowed. But equally, I actually think that that scoreline was possibly a bit harsh on the actual dynamic of the game just because I think there were small margins in this game that just tipped tipped the balance into Porto's favour that, that made it look a bit more. Marita hit in the bar. Marita hit the, Marita hit the post. And also, Diogo Costa had possibly his best game in oh. a Porto shirt. Great exhibition from the goalkeeper. So on another day, I think you would still be looking at a Porto win, but maybe you'd be looking at 2-1 or something like that. But at the end of the day, they lost 3-0. And like I said, it was a it was a real, real refereeing mistake to disallow that fourth goal. I'm not trying to say that I want to see Sporting lose 4-0, but the reality is that that was a perfectly good fourth goal. But look, obviously a very, very tough, tough result for Sporting. It's so early in the season, Barney, but you look at it and you think, the start to the season at Sporting had they had two tough games, Braga on the opening day, Porto in the third week, and they've dropped five points from those games already. So it's been a really tough start for Sporting, but of course, a long, long way to go. We'll have to see if they bring anyone else in the window. I think we just before we recorded, we saw the news that Jovan Cabral's renewed with them. And so I, I instantly said that means they're not going to be signing anyone <laughs> because he's their backup striker now. But, you know... Cabral's an interesting player. It's someone that I've always actually quite rated personally, but I, I, for some reason it hasn't worked out. So we'll see. I think I I think the fine margin points are really good one actually because I actually remember watching this game and thinking like it could have ended differently and maybe I, and if that had happened then I wouldn't be so harsh on sporting. But yeah, I'm just going to end this conversation about the Clasico Barney with uh, a city <laughs> that I quite like a lot because. We know that these big games between the big clubs so often, you know, they're rarely a showcase of of the best of the footballing ability that these clubs can offer. And they more often descend into dodgy antics, shall we say. You know, we had Pedro Porro challenging his inner Luis Suarez to palm the ball off the line uh, and getting a red card. And we had Mateus Reese for some reason deciding it was a good idea to sort of headbutt a, a young ball boy that looked about 12, 13 years old. Um, those are particular shithouse highlights for me. Um, but I think, you know, it was summed up in this game, my, one of my favourite stats, uh, actual playing time. You know, how much of the time the game is spent actually playing? 55 minutes in this game, that's 56% of 
of the game itself. I think that's about uh, 5 to 10% down on the average for a normal game. So, yeah, yet again, a big game in Portugal where a lot of the time is spent not playing the football that we know these clubs can produce. All right, well, let's talk about another game, Barney, and let's talk about Braga, who took on Maritimo in Braga. Now, Braga were definitely favourites to win this one, and I think they did so in emphatic fashion. Five goals by five different goal scorers, a clean sheet. As performances go, Barney, I don't think they can really expect much better than this. I love it when you get a high-scoring game and there's... um... Uh, you know, there's there are multiple scorers and not someone who scored twice. I think that really shows a lot about the team. And I, I think Braga are just in such a good place at the moment. You know, having watched them for the first three games, they've currently scored the most goals in their first three uh, in the first three games since uh, I think Sporting previously had the record in the 1990-1991 season. So, you know, that tells you the the blistering start they've had. I just think that their squad. I don't understand how it suddenly seems so much stronger than last year for Carlos, that Carlos, the team that Carlos Cover has. But I, I would honestly say that they have two players in every position who could start. And I think, you know, whereas last year the, the youngsters weren't perhaps quite ready or, or, or demanding starting spots, but you look at Rodrigo Gomez, for example, even Jalo, who, who wasn't even in the squad last year, but, but both come in and this year and look fantastic, like really, really devastating. And then add to that the fact that they've kept Mizrati, kept Vitinha, kept Abel Ruiz, kept, well, currently Ricardo Horta, Yuri Medeiros, and all who, you know, in, in other years would easy, like at least two of them probably would have been sold by Braga at this point. And then you've got Banza, you've got Fort Diego Lenz um, from Real Betis, look brilliant. Even Nikate at the back, just yeah, and and it and what this does in having such a strong squad, it just meant every substitution that Arthur George made influenced the game. It was the same against Sporting, you know. Every player who came on contributed and improved and like did something, and I think that's so good to see. I think they're in a really good place right now. Yeah, it is a really interesting phenomenon because I was thinking exactly the same thing. I'm suddenly feeling so much more confident in this Braga side than I was last year, and that's despite them losing David Carmo and almost losing Ricardo Horta, whose performances have kind of dipped, obviously, with his head in a different place, perhaps with a pending transfer. But, you know, they seem to have made a couple of key... They haven't made that many signings, have they? But they just seem to have made a key signing in key positions. Banz has made a world of difference up front. Lainez, the midfielder as well, a good signing. And, of course, Nakate at the back, you know, key signings in key areas. Um, that said, I was particularly pleased, Barney, to see Vitinha score because he has almost had to play you know, someone who was on the books last season, uh, broke through last season as the kind of new young striker. But since Banzer's come in, he's kind of been second fiddle now. Obviously, Banzer coming in as the senior striker. He's got quite a few goals at the beginning of the season. He's taking the headlines a little bit. But I love Vitinha, man. I really think he's going to be a top striker. Uh, and I'm really pleased he got his moment with a goal because if they've got Banzer firing, if they've got Vitinha firing, and if they've got Ruiz to come off the bench firing, we've said it before, but that, striking talent that they've got is, is a frightening prospect. Albert, do you think it's good for him? Because I felt like last season he was their main striker. Like the, the pressure was on him. But I think do you think this year with Banzer coming in that that will that will help him, you know, just to out the limelight a little bit more, but also able to do to go crack on and do a job. Not just Patinia, but Abel Ruiz as well. I think that because both of those players I think had goal scoring burden on them and they dealt with that in different ways. Ruiz obviously struggled. Um, to be the main striker and Vitinha 
was strange. He, he he performed in patches. He would just have games when he would score two or three goals and then he would go for a few games without scoring. Obviously, a young man is perfectly normal. But I think now Lanz has come in. Both of those players look better. Coutinho looks, you know, ready to be himself. And also, I think he's enjoying not being the only striker on the pitch. I think he enjoys being able yeah. to do his, his physical work, his his uh, bullying defenders, shall we say. He likes that side of the game, knowing that Banza can kind of nip in and nick goals. And I, I'm sure Ruiz would not admit to this because it's not something that a professional footballer really admits to, but he looks quite good coming off the bench. Yeah. I wonder if that could be a good role for him. He scored twice off the bench now. And in life, sometimes you have those players, right? Those impact players, that player you want to bring around an hour into the game when the defenders are a little bit tired. They've had to deal with the same strikers for an hour and you bring on something a little bit different just to cause them even more problems. And I think that could work. You know, those three strikers, I think they will all get the minutes that they want this season. And I, I won't be surprised if we see them all scoring throughout the season. Maybe not one of them, except maybe Banzan might be the top scorer in the league. But, you know, they'll probably all get a respectable amount of goals. But collectively for the team, I think that attacking trio, as long as they're managed well, could be perfect. I also wanted to credit um, a couple of players who have been at Brogue for a while now. I think Andre Horsley got man of the match, didn't he? Uh, very much always been in the in the shadow of his brother and, and he's looked really good alongside Amos Ratti in the field. But also um, uh, Fabiano and, and Tormena in defence. I think both these players, I wasn't so happy with last season. I didn't think, and I, I certainly remember thinking on occasions that they didn't look good enough. But I think this season they look miles better. And and. I've said it before, but I, I really think this this formation Alfred Ross plays a four four two. Just it, I think they just everyone looks a bit more comfortable. And I think the, the way Carlos Carvajal liked to play was, you know, you, you needed to be switched on. You needed to be. It was a you were constantly thinking about where you were and, and and on the pitch and going forward and defensively. So, but this perhaps making things a little bit simpler, uh, really helping some of these players. Yeah, a hundred percent. We are going to talk about Marie tomorrow in just a second, but. Very quickly, Barley, I have just got a question for you. And I, I texted you this question in the week, so hopefully it's not a com- putting you completely on the spot. I think this would be an interesting question for our listeners as well if they want to give us their opinion. But I'm just wondering whether you think Arthur George is doing a better job than Cavalier did last season. You know, we've talked about the players that he's lost, but this is a team that suddenly we're, we're more confident in and, and the team looked good under Cavalier. But I even feel like I have perhaps have more confidence in Braga this season. I certainly have more confidence, and I, and I think obviously it's early days, but there seems to be a difference in the way this team's playing and 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 the confidence they have. I mean, you, particularly the sporting game at home really sticks out because I felt like there was never any doubt that they were going to, despite being behind several times, that they were going to get something from that game, and and you saw that with the fans as well. And I think that's a real a real shift in mentality. I think I. I do feel like this is a stronger squad, and and I think I think you were spot on there. We said it's been a few signings, but they've been good signings, you know. And you think of some of the signings on the Carvajal that didn't work out. Uh, Mario Gonzalez is a, a real prime example, and and sort of arriving for a similar fee that's Simon Banza. So you know, I'm feeling more confident now about Arthur George. I, I, there's there's something there, and and they're looking fantastic. And I, Kevin said it last week, didn't he? Don't sleep on Braga. In previous years, you need uh, one of the big three to have a bad season for Braga to get close, but they they might not even need to have a bad season. Braga looked that good that they could just could get there. Absolutely. Well, look, we do have to talk about Maritimo Barney because in contrast to Braga, it was a, a pretty woeful performance. 
I think the sad thing was that just at no point throughout that game did they look like doing anything other than just being completely out of their depth. And, you know, you just brought up Kevin there. I think I just want to reference what he was saying online after the game because Kevin's a big Maritimo commentator and uh, uh, I kind of agreed with his assessment of the game where he, he said it was basically down to Siabra's stubbornness that led to quite a humiliating defeat for the players, right? And I think perhaps insisting on trying to play the type of football that he's trying to play, especially against the big clubs, a type of football that the players simply just couldn't keep up with in this game. I think when you try that and it doesn't work and you get humiliated and the players are low in confidence, I think it's it's bad for the players' mindset. When when Siabra started at Maritimo, the thing I said, because it started well, and the thing I said about him, to his credit, was that he was giving the players a style of football that they could be proud of to play that would make them feel like good footballers. And that was the big difference. He was getting the best out of his players. But in this a situation like this, I think he's in danger of doing the complete opposite. I think he's in danger of alienating those players with the way he's trying to get them to play football and the kind of results that they're getting at the moment. To contrast the two teams, Barney, Braga have scored 11 goals in their first three games. Maritimo have conceded 12 goals in their first three games. So he's in real danger. And it pains me to say it because the... the the work he did when he first joined was so promising, but genuinely, if things don't turn around, I think we could be looking at the first managerial casualty of the season. Well, he hasn't—he hasn't got the midfield to to do what he wants to do, and and he, Rafik Gautan is a huge loss, and probably the best player they've had to play the way Siabra wants to, right? And he he hasn't come back. Ivan Rossi as well, uh, in the Argentinian defensive midfielder, who's now uh, gone to Colombia. He had their highest pass success rate last season out of all the Maritimo players. He's gone as well. Add to that Pedro Palagio, who's been loaned out to a club in Cyprus, and they're just so weak in the field and the placement signings haven't improved them at all. I remember when Antonio Conte arrived at Tottenham and, and quite early on into his tenure there, people were saying that he was playing the same team, sticking with the same players, even though the results weren't coming in, to highlight to the board that you know, I need some, I need improvements. I need players to mm. come in. I don't know if there's a touch that going on here with Siabra, but when you, for a team that are trying to play out the back, you know, they've had the third lowest pass accuracy for the season and the fourth lowest possession for the season so far. So yeah, but you're spot on there. They, they, it's not, something's not right. The only glimmer of hope I have is a, a couple of signings. The, uh, the Spanish signings interest me. There's um, Pablo Moreno from Man City, a Spanish striker. He could possibly push Tagway for a stop in that starting eleven, and um, Antonio uh, Zarzana on loan from Sevilla, who who got on half time in this game and made a, a pretty good impact. I'd say he's got a nice left foot, good burst of pace, and looks great in the ball. He also finished the game with a hundred percent passing actually, so it could be the sort of player that Sierra needs. But yeah, it's it's I it's like you said, it's really not looking good, and and we know Mauricio are ambitious. But we also know Siabra is ambitious, but you know whether whether he'll be there come the end of the season, man. It's going to be tough for him. Marito are definitely a team to keep an eye on over the next few weeks in case things turn around. Well, let's do another game, Barney. And I really want to talk about Aruka because I think they're a team that we've unfortunately neglected on this podcast probably for a little while. We only ever seem to talk about them when they get beat by one of the big teams, you know. And the same thing happened at the beginning of this season. They lost 4-0 to 
uh, on the opening day of the season against Benfica, we said at the time that it wasn't fair to judge them on that game. Since then, they've won their last two games of the season. They beat Gilles Vicente one 0 at home, and then this weekend they went away to Santa Clara and came from behind to get a two-one win. I think we can start to judge them now, Barney. What do you what do you make of them from this game? I I just think they've they've strengthened so well. Majika, the the Spanish striker from Las Palmas, has been excellent up top for them. And considering he's a replacement for Andre Silva, who's, who's now at Victoria, you know, he actually looks slightly better suited to the Saruka team. You know, he, I think he's got the qualities that Andre Silva has, you know, being quite dynamic, quite mobile. But I think his physicality as well and, and his, his positioning in the box looks excellent. And, and I, I think he's going to be a really good striker for them. I'm going to also include Vitinho, the midfielder, who got the assist for Majika's goal. He, he's really impressed me in midfield. Ismail Asoro, who they signed from Celtic, a defence midfielder. Just players that when you watch, you know, when we watched Ruka last season, there was very few players who stood out. But that, you know, in this game, there was several across all, all positions of the pitch who who caught my eye and looked look really good players for this league. I think the thing about Aruka buying for me is that they're starting to look more like a seasoned Premier League team. Last year they looked a little bit naive at times, and I feel like last year they don't get that goal that nicks the win against Silverset and maybe they don't come from behind in this game. They, What they did in both this game and the last game was take advantage of a team who were there for the taking, right? Teams who weren't quite clicking. Now, these are not bad teams. Santa Clara and Silverset are good teams, but for whatever reason, it wasn't quite clicking for them and, and Aruka found a way to punish them. To be fair to Aruka, I don't think they particularly blew away these teams in these two games, but they did what they had to do to get the win. Um, this game particularly was exactly that. First goal, Santa Clara daydreaming. They're ball watching. There's not enough pressure on the ball. And Aruka find a way to punish them. Maybe last season, they don't get a goal. They just get a corner kick or something. Second goal, the ball is bouncing around in the box. Fair enough. I think it's quite unlucky that it comes off Santa Clara player's hand. But, you know, it's good pressure from Opoku. He's pressuring the defender. And, and he keeps the ball alive and they get a bit of luck get the luck, dispatch the penalty, and suddenly they've got two goals, you know. The only downside I will say is that I think it should have been 3-1. Majika, I think, did do well, but if you go back and watch the highlights, you will see there is a chance at the end of the game he's through one-on-one. He, he can either take the shot or pass it off to his, his teammate on the right. He doesn't do either. Delays on the ball and misses a chance to kill the game. I'm talking about Aruka becoming a seasoned, chiselled, Premier League team, these are the chances they're going to have to start taking because what if Santa Clara go up the other end of the pitch, get an equaliser? Two points into the season could be the difference between survival and relegation. So improvement from Aruka for me, pleasing improvement. They look like a team working hard for each other, for the manager, for the fans, playing pretty good football and, and, and able to grind out results, which is exactly what you need at this level. You mentioned um, Apuku and um, Jao Basso there, the who I love, the, I love it when I send the back takes penalties. By the way, but um, <laughs> the, the back line is is markedly improved with the addition of Apuka, with the addition of Thiago's Gaia as well. I think that really, really helps them. Um, so I think defensively they've improved as well. Uh, but I think Santa Clara. The, first of all, I think Rildo looks to business. Like I love, mm. I love. I, I, he looks like a really great signing. Um, young young winger from Gremio. He's now was it now two goals and just very skillful and and. On the other wing, Alana as well, who I've always liked. I, the thing I wanted to say about them, though, is that I feel like they've got to work better with Tagawa, the striker, because T- Tagawa seems to, is just so good in the box. And, and, and 
just so a really instinctive strike, you know. And I think Rildo and Lano want to be dribbling at defenders, getting themselves into the box. When if they were to look up, try and find that pass for Tagra, I think that 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 front three would work a little bit better, and and it might be a bit more successful. So that I think that needs to be worked on. I also wrote down that I thought Victor Bobson uh, in midfield has has looked like a good a good signing a, a good replacement for Maurice perhaps twenty two year old from uh, Gremio and twenty year old centre back uh, Paolo from Cruzeiro as as well in Brazil looks I thought looked quite good as well they've just signed Diego Calier from B Sad who looked excellent playing in both wing back positions for B Sad in in the running last season there's there's talent there but I think sort of what I alluded to with the the attack there I just think that Mario Silva needs to get his players working better together. I mean, completely agree with Brian. I, I had exactly the same point because it, ha- it has been a very slow start for Santa Clara this season. A team that I predicted to be dark horses this year, but they've only got one point from their first three games. And as you say, the connections between the players not quite coming off and they look like a team that still needs to gel. You mentioned some of those players that they just signed, Bunny. I had no idea what a signing spree they've mm. been on. They've signed 10 new players since the start of August alone. And apparently they've signed 16 new players since the transfer window opened. You mentioned Bobson there. He was man of the match in his first game. And of course, Rildo, who did look really good in his last two games, scored in both his last two games. The thing I didn't know, Barn, is that he's apparently their most expensive ever transfer. They spent 1.3 million euros on this player. So they've made a real financial investment in Rildo, in a way, a real financial bargain because they'll be hoping that they can cash in on him for a profit soon because, let's be honest, a club like Santa Clara cannot be spending millions of pounds on players that they're not going to be able to ship for more money in the relatively near future. So Rildo is definitely a player to keep an eye on because Santa Clara are going to have big hopes for him. But I'm in complete agreement with you. You know, I think what we're seeing here is, is a team that, that's just surely going to have to take time to gel these players because you can't have such a high turnover uh, in your squad and not expect team problems. There are good signs there. There are good moments, um, but they need to start, uh, they need to start playing more cohesively and they need to start playing more like a team if they're going to have success this season. Well, another team that I really wanted to talk about, Barney, was Kazapia. Uh, they played against Boa Vista at the weekend. They're a team that I wanted to focus on really since the start of the season. Uh, and in this game is a good place to do it because they've got themselves a 2-0 win against Boa Vista, their first win of the season. They came close on the opening day. They had a missed penalty uh, and they gave Benfica a good game last weekend. So they've had a decent start to the season, but they got that three points to really get their season off the ground. Uh, I think it's fair to say Boa Vista dominated the game in the first half, but Casapia were resilient and they hit them with two killer counter-attacks, which ultimately won them the game. I think they've had an excellent start to the season now, but and I think even the, think about the Benfica game last week. There was they had their moments. They could have got a goal, and that could have ended quite easy. Ended up in the draw. So I think they've they've really deserved this win against Bovista because they just seem to have been very smart all all over the place. I think Rafael Martins is such a smart signing for a promoted club because you know they're not being like Rio Ave, who has seemed like seems to be planning for the future, buying youth, buying young, probably unproven players, but sort of hoping that they will. Uh, earn the money or, or develop into better players in the future. They've just got a striker in who who will score goals for them. He's not going to get twenty or anything like that, but he's going to score important goals for them throughout the season. And I think 
that's an un unbelievable bit of business. I also really like the signing of Kunimoto, who potentially is a bit of a gamble. Having, I think I said he was from the J League in a, in a previous episode, but actually he's from um, Yonbok uh, Hyundai Motors in South Korea and was, was one of the best players in the K League. But um, what is interesting is that I saw that they, they terminated his contract this summer after he was caught uh, driving under the influence of alcohol. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome but, to Portugal. <laughs> I know there's one euro bottles of Sagres are going to be, uh, <laughs> but but I, I like the look of him. I think he's a very skillful player and certainly a good winger. Um, so yeah, I think they just they just seem to be a, a really smart club, don't they? Well, the two players that you mentioned there, Barney, were two players that were influential in getting the result for this game. Uh, of course, Rafael Martins gets the first goal. It was a good first goal. Like I said, both goals were counter-attacks. Uh, but the first one, they showed very, very good composure. You know, you look at the build-up, they're making the right decision at the right time. They get the ball into the box and it falls to exactly the man that you want in that situation. The finisher, Rafael Martins. And of course, the second goal was an unreal pass from Kunihiro from inside his own half. That left-footed pass that just cuts open the defence, sets Xavier Godwin on his way. And he makes it through and there's no mistakes with the finish. So I think it was a very, very good game plan from Casapia. They obviously understood that they were going to sit back, soak up the pressure, that they were confident that they could do that. And then they hit them on two counter-attacks uh, when Boa Vista were weak. But let's talk about Boa Vista as well, Barney, because I think they will be particularly disappointed with the result. Of course, they'd be disappointed to lose any game, but to lose in the manner that they did, where I think they did control the game for large parts, completely the first half but they just couldn't create those chances. I think that's what they will find disappointing. Well, I think this is the first time they could play their new signings after their transfer ban was lifted, after they finally paid money that they owed to Adil Rami. So uh, Bosnick came in for the injured uh, Clinton NG, Salvador Agra started, but both of these players, I thought, had um, quite disappointing games. Uh, and and it also looks like they're going to lose Hamash too, who I think is... As much as I think Petit's 3-4-3 formation has really worked for them, I think Hamash on that left-hand side was so key. And I, I don't... I don't, They don't seem to have an adequate replacement, although it is unclear whether Ricardo Mangas will be part of this uh, team after he... Or Bordeaux didn't trigger his purchase option. So, I don't know. I think, you know, you had the, the, the start that Petit's team had to the season, you know, with, with that team that he was always forced to play and forced to stick with, but look good. And, and now these changes have come in with the new players coming in, perhaps, you know, it's, it's a little, it might take a little bit of time to get, get to speed, but yeah, it was it's certainly a disappointing result for them after the start they had. Yeah. Well, it was a player that we've talked about quite a lot and who's obviously already on the books, Kenji Gore, who looks the most dangerous part he of the attack for me. He yeah. was very good. And I think he probably deserved an assist or a goal for his performance because he was the one kind of, uh, making all the chances and like you say Bojanic had a couple of chances that you kind of expect to put him away but if that match sharpness isn't there then I guess you can uh, you can make the excuse alright well then let's do our last game of this episode's coverage Barney um, let's talk about Friday night's match which was Estoril versus Rio Ave that was a game that ended in a 2-2 draw it was Rio Ave's first points and first goals of the season and a good performance all round from them but it wasn't enough to get them a win as they conceded an 80th minute equaliser from Estoril after being 2-1 ahead. It meant that the points were shared on the night. We have another team that we've mentioned a few times this episode. We've had quite a slow start to the season that perhaps we didn't expect. Uh, the loss of 
Sporting was understandable, of course, but that opening day loss to Vizela 1-0 would have been a real disappointment. But I think based on the performance, you can say that this was a step in the right direction. Oh, certainly. I think they... they um, I thought they looked quite good on the ball, actually, quite comfortable in possession. But like you said, the difference was, you know, having had, was it one shot on target in their first two games? This game, it was completely different. 17 shots, seven on target. And I I was trying to pin down a reason for that. And the, the only sort of thing I could see was um, the moving of Pedro Amaral out of the back three and into his preferred left wing back position. They've been playing um, Paolo Vito, their new signing Paolo Vito, who I think isn't actually a winger. And though he looked good on the ball and that, I think um, seeing Pedro Amaral in that left wing position, five key passes in this game, I think that just was a good change from Lewis Freer and it just gave them a bit uh, a bit more quality in, in, in the, the balls coming in from the left-hand side. But also, I mean, I, I wanted to shout out Costina, the other wing-back, who, who was excellent and has, has looked good all season so far. A lovely-headed goal. And only 22 years old, you know, I think this is certainly a good young... Portuguese right wing back to, to keep an eye on in this league. But I think my favourite goal was Aziz's goal with that. I mean, that burst of pace was absolutely devastating and, and it was a good finish. And I, I was a bit critical of him last week, but I think that really shows, you know, the bit of quality he has. Yeah, I, I really like Aziz and I will be disappointed if that move to San Atien does materialise because I think he's been good to watch in Portugal and I think he would have had a good season in the Primera Liga. I think, obviously, good signs for Rio Ave, but I think there should be disappointment in some sense that they couldn't get the three points over the line. You know, we just talked about a Ruka team who are uh, learning to grind games out in the Primera Liga, right? I think obviously Rio Ave have more recent Primera Liga pedigree, but it does seem like they're still perhaps a bit naive. Obviously, they can see the goal in the first five minutes and you kind of fear for them that this is going to be another game where they struggle, but they did the hard work. They get back in the game. They put in a really good performance for the next, what, 60, 70 minutes, 75 minutes, and they were a better team. But then, you know, all of that's undone when they concede an equaliser late into the game, 10 minutes to go, and they end up walking away with only one point. So good signs, of course, but a little bit disappointing in some sense that they couldn't get the three points over the line, um, especially when they're playing a team like Estoril. That's a team they would have been looking at and going, this is an opportunity for us to get points. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Verissimo was describing the Estoril performance as having a good first 15 minutes and a good last 15 minutes. Which is... <laughs> it's probably fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's true. I think that obviously their, their first goal was a really good attack from the right and they looked well up for it. But um, yeah, they seem to sort of die down. And we've, we've talked about Geraldus already this season, haven't we? We were saying he needs to be the man to deliver. And I felt that moment where he burst through it and... and it was just it was a poor shot from him, but obviously fell to Graver and and ahead of a finish from Graver. But I think that was you know that was excellent work from Gerardes and sort of you know that 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 was a lot of, that was all down to him that they got that equaliser. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is a it was good to see Virav sort of getting into where I sort of, sort of playing how I was sort of expecting to 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 play ever since they've come up. And I think Estrel you knows slight team problems perhaps, but. I still like them. I still like them. look at them as well. Well, look, that's the last game that we're going to do in depth on this show. But just to keep you up to date with the rest of the results, on Saturday, Chavez and Vizela played out a 1-1 draw. Uh, and on Sunday, of course, the game we alluded to at the very top of the show, Porto and Enns beat Vittoria 2-1, coming from 1-0 behind. And Monday night, Jean Vicente Famalicao played out uh, a 0-0 draw. We're going to have a quick look at the table 
Uh, I think in future we will do a more in-depth look at the table as it begins to take shape. Obviously, very early days. So not huge talking points, but still some areas of interest. Uh, after only three games, Porto Menendez find themselves uh, in the top five. Uh, two wins from three games, very good for them. Equally, Boa Vista and Aruca both got two wins from three games. So good starts to the season for those clubs. And down the other end of the table, obviously, Maritima, as we mentioned, zero wins from three. They're the only team with zero points from three games. And then they get a 10-goal difference. Uh, Family Cow only one point. Passes to Ferreira, zero points from two games. Real have one point from three games. Santa Clara, one point from three games. So plenty of clubs who really need to start putting points on the table if they're going to get their season going. Oh, well, I think this is all very interesting considering that uh, that thing that's come out today about the is it the, the boffins in Switzerland that have put together a table <laughs> I knew you would bring this up have <laughs> put together a table of uh, where they've, they've crunched the numbers and, and this is what they predict this, the table's going to finish up at the end of the season yeah uh, that it's, is that... it's completely different to what it is at the moment that is that is quite humorous um, Barney is alluding to what are they call Barney is CIES they're like a Swiss <laughs> as Barney calls them the Swiss nerds who have put together um, a predicted table, some kind of supercomputer has predicted the um, Premier League table. And just to run you through it, even though they've already dropped five points, they think Sporting are going to win with Porto in second, Benfica in third. And they think Aruca, Brazella and Maritimo will be relegated. Well, I think they might get one of those right in Maritimo. But to be totally honest with you, I think I could throw uh, a dartboard at the Premier League table and get a more accurate, uh, more accurate result. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. For this episode, as you know, our favourite thing to do to round off the show is just to pick a game of the week that we reckon you should be watching. Now, as always, there's some interesting fixtures. Benfica playing Boa Vista on Saturday. Sporting playing Chavez also on Saturday. And Porto uh, playing Rio Ave. But none of those games really stand out to me, Barney. I think if you're looking for interesting games to watch, I've got a couple for you. One of them is on Monday night, uh, and that's Vittoria versus Casapia. Uh, at 7pm and of course there does look like quite an interesting game uh, as Braga go away to Aruca at 6 o'clock on Sunday. What are you going to go for, Barney? No, I agree with both of those. The only other one is I, I pass us for our Estral Friday night. It will be quite a nice one as well, I think. I think that could be a good game to watch. Well, before we go, we should just uh, give a little push to a new side of the Longball Football Podcast which Barney's going to be doing a lot more of this season and I'm going to be helping out with a little bit we're going to be doing a lot more written stuff on the portugal.net website. So, Barney, I'll let you explain it. But currently, there is an article all about Chavez out, which people can read. And there might be an article about a certain Porto Men's strike on the horizon, too. Yeah, so um, the, the Chavez article is um, part of uh, Portugal's Talk of the Town, which is a, a real in-depth look into um, an area of Portugal uh, from a sort of football t- tourism point of view, um, I've been looking at the the squad and the manager, uh, sort of an overview of Chavez. So that's out at the moment. And then um, hopefully in the end of this week, we'll have a little article on, um, well, a guy we talked about, Iago Carrillo. Um, we're looking at his story, how he's got into Portugal, how, how, how he's got to the top league and um, just a little bit about the guy. So yeah, keep an eye out for that on the on the Portugal.net website. Definitely keep an eye out. On that, he's a much more interesting character than just a moment of madness uh, suggests. He's much more interesting than that. Well, uh, just just leave me to say thank you very much for listening. Of course, if you want to get in contact with us, you know where to find us. We're on Twitter at Longball Football. We're on Instagram at Longball Football. 
uh, and feel free to send us any messages or comments get involved we always love chatting with you guys and, and hearing your opinions if you've got any opinions on anything we've said on this show uh, definitely get involved if you enjoyed the show uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts you could leave us a star rating and a little written review if you wanted to that would give us a real boost uh, and if, I think on Spotify you can leave us a star rating as well but they're just easy to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week